Welcome to the 30-Minute CMO. I'm Gorsha Hucho. I'm recording this podcast from an Airbnb on the Oregon coast. At this very moment, I'm sitting here overlooking a beach and the wide expanse of the ocean from the living room of our rented house. And you know, I'm struck by the calmness, by the serenity and seeming predictability that nature seems to offer. And this feeling really stands in stark contrast to what the year has been like for so many of us. To say that 2020 has been a challenging year for brands is a total understatement. From having to adjust to COVID to reacting to demands for racial equality in recent weeks, companies, large and small, have had to write new marketing playbooks from scratch. Communication with customers during challenging times has always been important. But how do you run your marketing when a crisis is a long-term one? How do you remain sensitive to consumer fears and views while at the same time trying to maintain a level of marketing output that allows your company to do business? I pose these and other questions to Steve Weiss, the founder and CEO of the DTC-focused marketing agency Mute6. Steve founded Mute6 to help upstart direct-to-consumer brands market themselves effectively on Facebook. As the agency grew, it expanded to other channels like paid search and programmatic display as well as offering creative capabilities through its studio. In the six years that Mute6 has been around, it has become the absolute market leader in helping DTC brands accelerate their business, a distinction that in 2019 led the agency to being acquired by the Dentsu Aegis Network. So I want to get your perspective about a few things today, um, you know, because your agency is, is, is positioned to offer a top-down view of the market, but like starting with the George Floyd protests, and just how companies have to have been reacting and then going uh, sort of back to COVID because originally I wanted to talk to you about that, but in, in the space of very short time, uh, there've been two yeah. humongous issues. So I just want to, I want to get your, um, your sense there, especially because the, uh, this, this last one, the pace of escalation has been so quick and everyone has been forced to react so quickly. So my question, first one, I guess, is how did you see companies that you work with react and adapt to this latest crisis? And I'm conscious that most people in those companies probably don't have PR firms or on retainer or like big communications departments. So how do you see them? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we, we tried to get to it on Monday. Um, we, we got on it. We didn't get on it as quick as I hoped. Um, that was a learning experience for us. But I think that the reality is, is that consumers are motivated to to align with companies that really speak out against social injustice so it's the most dangerous thing to do right now is to not say a word and i think that's just the reality is that consumers they they want to hear from the companies that they're passionate about and a lot of companies have made statements immediately on their stance on the injustices that have went on. And I think like, you know, on a, on a much deeper level, I think that all of us who have, you know, seen or experienced or have close friends that have experienced, obviously being a white male CEO, I don't, I don't know what it's exactly like to be an African American or a man of color or a woman of color in the U S but for those of us that are very sensitive, you know, I'm very sensitive toward the issue. And we just hope that all the work that we've done over the last week, whether it's protests, whether it's whether it's you know speaking up, whether it's holding forms in our companies, whether it's making changes to the way that we're doing business, change the way we hire, change it, you know, we hope that 
you know, that the society will change it, all this work will, that we've been doing, that we've all been doing, will, will actually make an impact and make sure that this, this stuff doesn't happen again. I mean, I think that's, that's the hope is that all the work we're doing has the positive impact that we, that really put forth. And so I think having a voice is number one. I think people want to be heard. I also think that for right now, some people just want to be left alone. They don't, they just want their time. They just want time to themselves. And, you know, we're giving people at our company a forum. We're making, you know, on top of that, you know, we're, building out a diversity council you know we want people's voices to be heard that's the number one thing we want to empower people to speak up to really understand that their voice not only is their voice heard but there there will be action they bring us something to, to our attention like there will be action and depending on what, what what they're bringing but that's number one number two we you know we're making changes you know we're doing what we can to support you know, African-American run businesses, we're doing what we can to really be, be as sensitive to the moment as possible and really support what's going on out there. So I, I think it's, I think it's going to spawn positive change. I think the brands that really step up to the table and really, you know, show the true colors of their, of, of what, who, what and who they support are the brands that are going to, are going to be, develop a lifelong relationship with, with these, with consumers. And I think, I just hope that this this doesn't just pass. I don't ever. I hear a lot of people saying this will just pass, and that that that, that scares me as a as, you know as a person that's really passionate about the movement. Like I really hope that it just doesn't pass. I hope that it just keeps you know instilled in all of us that we need all of us. We need to treat better, and you know there's biases everywhere. We need to overcome these biases. So that that's my feeling more or less on the topic. Do you th- do you think that companies want to be like deeply engaged in this conversation for the long haul? I mean, this is an election year, so the issue definitely will be pol- polarizing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it all comes down to leadership. I think that the leaders that really want to make a difference, and I think you know we have you know some heated arguments in our company around with the leadership of like the impacts that we want to have. Obviously, I'm I'm more on the side of let's do what we can as much as we can to make the positive impact. And, you know, whereas other people you know, are worried about what the sediment, if we really make a big stance and, you know, I think if you don't sit up for what you believe in, stand for what you believe in, then, you know, you're doing a disservice to yourself and everyone else. So I think, I believe that right now is the time to really make a stance and to make an impact. And I think the companies that don't, are going to be looked at differently. They're going to be looked at as, as a lot of things, insensitive, um, you know, brands that are scared to make a stand. I don't just think it's going to go away. I think that there's, this is a monumental change and it's going to be impactful, you know, for, you know, hopefully for, you know, for the near future as well as the future until there's real change. I think that we have to make sure that this, that the, the, the lives of the people like, you know, like Floyd and Aubrey and Brianna Taylor, we got to make sure that they're remembered and that they're not just sacrificed for nothing. We got to really remember their memories and really, and really cherish them and really push forward and make sure that we're making change. So, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've been following this, obviously we've had to react ourselves. Um, and 
I've been thinking a lot about this. One, one thing that doesn't escape me that I continue to think about is that this sort of new generation of companies and new generation of founders, and you probably work with a disproportionate amount of them, you know, they've built their businesses like leading sort of with like leading with heart and coming, you know, coming from what they believe is a good place. Um, and I know that uh, they rely a lot on communities. Um, they rely a lot on social media for both fostering the community, but also for advertising. So in good times, or maybe in times when there is, let me rephrase it, in times when there is not this acute focus on, on injustices in this country, uh, these communities are obviously there to help you know, generate uh, positive sentiment, generate revenue, um, it's, it's, it's all good. But with that comes responsibility that when the spotlight shifts and when the conversation shifts, um, you're, you, you have a responsibility to, um, to also state your values to your community. It's probably something that like older companies and bigger companies don't necessarily have to do quite to the same extent or maybe previously didn't have to do quite to the same extent. But I find these, um, you know, if you're a founder, you've been running a company for three, four years, it's probably your first crisis that you're dealing with in terms of like huge public perception. And, you know, it's not going to be the only one because in this country, unfortunately, we have many, many injustices, severe injustices, you know, uh, school shootings, um, deportation issues. Um, you know, this is going to be one of many. Um, like, what's the advice on how to, um, you know, how to deal with, uh, with this in a very public social space? What do you think? I can always speak for myself as CEO. I think that I've run the company based upon the values that I had growing up, based upon having a, you know, an African-American stepfather, you know, a community of amazing friends who supported me. Most, you know, most of my friends were probably 70, 80% were African-American. So I, I have different values than a lot of people that, you know, that are going through this. So I run my company and run Mute 6 and anything I'm a part of in leadership based on the values that, that I was brought up with. And I think it's very important as CEO to keep your values, is to keep and remember the values that you were brought up with. And mm -hmm. if you don't, then you're going to build something that you're not aligned with. And that's the worst thing in the world to feel like, what you're building and what you're a part of, you're not a hundred percent aligned with. And I think that's how I, that's how I lead that, that is paramount that like, I have to build something that I'm passionate about. Like I, I just won't be a part of it. If I don't align with the values that we're building, then it's just not going to be a start for me. So very well said, man. Um, Okay, well, uh, if this was the only crisis of 2020, it'd be already huge, but we're just starting to reopen the, the economy after COVID-19 became a reality. And um, curious to hear your thoughts because we heard about e-commerce becoming the white knight of business and supposedly that DTC brands were super well positioned uh, to ride this out. Um, from your vantage point, was this the case? Yeah, I mean, couldn't have said it better. I mean, are you, Gosha, let me ask you, when's the last time you went into a a retail store to buy something outside of groceries Outside groceries yeah yeah not i mean february <laughs> <laughs> therein lies the question therein lies the answer 
you know, you're a consumer, like your demographic consumer is a consumer that we're all targeting. You, people similar to you, people similar to me. And the reality is, is that my spend, you know, I was comparing this. Like I, I'm a very, you know, say a big data guy, but I like data. And I was going through my credit card receipts and just calculating all the purchases I made online. And then I went through my, and I filtered out my credit card and I, I did my, and I compared that to the credit card receipts I made online last year during the same time. And I was up well over a hundred percent, literally well over a hundred percent, you know, in terms of like from, yep. From February to June, late February to June. And, and, and to, to give context, you should, you should, you should do that exercise yourself and you could see, you know, the impact that e-commerce has had. I think it, it's been gradual year after year after year after year it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. you know at first you know it was kind of new to us to just buy something online and get it in the mail it was just new it was it was it was weird but now you know it's the norm i don't, I don't think i'm going to advise my you know my family my, my fiance my mom to go hey let's go to the store and get something you know if we can buy it online we're going to buy it online we're not going to risk the, you know, the COVID and God only knows what else. And, you know, just not going to risk it. And I think a lot of other people are the same way. It's like, why, not only is it more convenient, but why, why risk, why take the risk of going through a store? Just why? And I think it's going to fundamentally change the way we consume products. Fundamentally. It's nice. And it, it and yeah, e-commerce is not going anywhere. I mean, we had our, you know, we had a, an amazing month in May, you know, we had, you know, obviously we weren't forecasting that. So we had to make some tough decisions, which, you know, I still look back and say like, you know, maybe we could have done differently, but you know, I, I can't forecast what the future holds. What I could tell you is, is that the sediment around consumers is not going to change. It's not going to devolve back to where it was in this time last year. So you think this is here to stay? Do you think the retail physical retailers, um, going to have a rebound or do you think it's going to be greatly diminished after COVID? It's going to be greatly diminished. I think that there's, I just can't envision people just going back to normal. I think it'll be diminished. I think it, there's a, yep. There's always going to be stuff that people will buy in person. will take the risk and buy in person. You know, there's always going to be products. You know, for, for me, you know, when I think of products that, that I buy in person, I, you know, I'm, I'm buying a wetsuit right now just to go out in the ocean with. And mm-hmm. I've never bought a wetsuit before. So I, I'd love to be able to try on a wetsuit just to know my size, make sure it fits. And I think it's a bit of a hassle to buy a wetsuit online and have to resend the whole thing back and wait, you know, wait to get a refund, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's definitely still products that I think that, we're all we're going to still use like in, in you know in brick and mortar but i i think long term you, you know that that's going to go slowly dwindle down as you know as as supply chains get faster as as we start building better you know on the customer experience side but i really believe that you know we are going to see a dip during during this two two three month period um from when the country went into basically shutdown um, do you guys see any categories of e-commerce thrive more than others? Home goods, home essentials, home fitness. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, those are the areas. Anything related to home, whether it's cooking, whether it's you know wh- whether it's uh, home fitness, you know, 
Peloton. I mean, you name it, we've seen a massive lift. Obviously, essential items, cleaning supplies, toilet paper, you know, anything related to essentials. But I'd say those, anything related to the home have seen a massive lift. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking that apparel right now um is waiting for their rebound because um as people hunker down, they're probably not thinking about buying new shoes and um <laughs> outside of comfort wear, uh, new clothing. Yep. Yep, exactly. I mean, I think that's <laughs> I don't think and I think it's rebounding slowly. I think that we're gonna see um we're gonna see some some rebound over the next couple months in terms of re in terms of clothing, but I, I don't think that it's going to be the same experience. So from, from like a media and advertising standpoint, um, we saw a lot of the heavies, you know, the travel industry, for example, completely suspend advertising. Um, Facebook and Google both warned about ad spend drying up. And since their my, you know, since their buying models are auction based pricing sort of collapsed, has this contributed to the boom for DTC commerce companies? Because, um, advertising became maybe more cost effective did they choose to advertise more heavily than before during this time yeah i mean i think uh big brand advertisers aren't just throwing money at, at ads like they used to and i think that's had a negative impact on the total ecosystem when it comes to pricing these ads so i think that that's that's the feeling that these big advertisers are feeling is that, you know, now, you know, we obviously will never know exactly, but I'd say the greater percentage of the advertisers that are buying media are performance advertisers, people that want to see a return on ads and return on investment on these marketing channels. Well, I think this segues nicely into sort of the last topic and that's the ad industry itself. Um, because, uh, you know, let's talk about your your business. So what weaknesses have been exposed in the traditional advertising model? Because um, obviously prior to COVID, and I, I come from an ad agency background myself, we've, we've been talking about the renaissance of out of home. Uh, we've been talking about traditional formats, seeing maybe more of a rebound from from the 2008 crisis than, um, than we thought. Um, has this exposed weaknesses of the traditional ad, ad model, uh, you think? Um, break down that question a little bit more. So like, I just want to understand like what you're getting at. Yeah. So you mentioned in the previous question, you know, this has been a kind of the lift of the performance buying model. And obviously traditionally advertising breaks down into awareness and performance. Um, you know, um, there are mediums that are catered entirely for awareness. TV out of home tend to lead the way print. Um, radio and then digital has been seen as largely and right like large largely a performance medium so the i guess is has has um is digital more resilient long term and is it going to i mean maybe i'm stating the obvious here but uh is are we seeing the some of these formats just completely die off um are we seeing the traditional ad model that relies on uh, mass exposure um, once again proved that it's weaker uh, and less resilient than we thought. I don't. I don't think to answer your question. I don't think that these older ad models are going to die off. I think that they're going to change. They're going to evolve. I think that 
now you know the marketer has changed the marketer is now a very performance driven individual that's being held to specific kpis so i think that there's not going to be a lot of blanket ad spend spent on something without understanding the data there's going to be metrics and kpis attached to every single move so i think you're going to see a difference with billboards you're going to see a difference with direct mail there's going to be actual real metrics that need to be hit to unlock more budget. So you're going to see a lot more efficiencies on these platforms than before, because largely the brand advertisers were the ones that were just throwing money at stuff that really, that really, you know, caused the, the big fluctuations when it came to demand. So I think that as brand advertisers, specifically omni-channel advertisers be, become more intelligent with the way that they spend their dollars, you know, you're going to see that, you know, the, the auction is going to be priced a lot, a lot better it's going to be a price with a lot more, you know, there's not going to be rapid fluctuations like before, as you remember the last two months of every quarter, you know, brands would blow out their brand budgets, as as I was saying, and auctions would automatically go up. And I I hope that that doesn't happen in the, in the, in the future, just because, you know, those, those budgets, you know, they weren't good for the advertiser and they weren't good for the, you know, they're more befitting to the agency that wanted to, make that percentage of media. I don't, I, I don't know the argument of just saying like, let's just blow out budgets just so we can get more budget. That I'm, I'm not an expert there, but I don't think that's a good uh, strategy in my opinion. But with that said, I think that there's going to be a lot more accountability you know, with all the media that's being, and, that's, and that may not be a good thing for some large agencies. Yeah. So how does the agency nowadays pitch itself to potential clients? Like what is this? you know, COVID post COVID pitch look like? Is it purely about performance and accountability or is there, is there more to it than that? I think those are the two pillars of it. I think performance and accountability, but I also, I also think that cash conservation to a lot of bigger brands now is key. I don't think there's a lot of brands that are just throwing money at stuff like they used to. So now the question is payback. When is this media going to pay back? You know, when, when, when is sales going to pay for media? Even bigger brands are asking that question, you know, and how could you show me the data in a way that that unlocks and makes me comfortable spending more money? And I think that's that's the bigger question is, you know, there's, there's still going to be awareness campaigns. There's still going to be what we call the brand campaign and brand collaborations top of funnel to really, you know, hi, you know highlight the brand and really, you know, that's not going to be deep performance, but there's going to be accountability across the full omni-channel funnel when we run brand campaigns. There's going to be lift studies done. There's going to be attribution understanding. There's going to be a lot more data and a lot more intelligent people poking at the budgets and why and where they're spending their money. Well, I know there's one new area, and this is sort of a final question, but I know there's one area where a lot of attention is now being focused on, um, and that's uh, that's TikTok. You know, we, I think as people hunker down, we saw this once-in-a-generation explosion of a new social network that we haven't seen since, um, well, I would say not even Snap, I guess, since Facebook, right? So consumers flocked to it during the lockdown. Um, brands found themselves forced to quickly learn about this new entrant. Um, so... First question, I guess, which is part part one of the same question. Uh, do you think it's here to stay, um, this hype around TikTok? And maybe you can humor us, but any good or cringeworthy stories of brands trying to attempt to be woke on TikTok? Because we've, sef- we've definitely just been scrolling through and seeing uh, a lot of attempts to buy brands to try and crack it. And 
it just, I mean, it's some of it just seems like a disaster in the making. Uh, yeah, number one, it's it's here it's here to stay. I don't think TikTok's going anywhere. TikTok is a platform for consumption. I think they do such a good job of keeping the user entertained more so than any other social network that you know people in the Gen Gen Y or Gen Z, should I say, or not only them flocking to it, but now you have you know some older millennials also flocking to it. You have you know you have an older demographic now that is being entertained on the platform. So with that said. They've built something super sticky, you know, that with high consumption rates. And they're also building an ad platform that is, is starting to really kick in, you know, very, you know, very native looking ad units that, that fit into the demographic, fit into the content mold of the platform, which I think is really interesting. And I, I think the mistake that a lot of people are making is just trying to use the same content recycled over for Facebook, you know, same, same type of narrative inside of TikTok, I think there's a lot of brands that don't spend the time to understand why people are using TikTok and don't spend the time to understand, you know, the affinity that, that consumer that these people have and their your attention spans. And I think, you know, if you don't spend the time to really understand and use the platform, then you're not going to be able to master it. I think the mistake a lot of brands make is they just go to it without using it themselves. And I think that we've seen it time and time again, you know, in helping brands navigate that they need to their intelligence, they can't just rely on an agency or group to just they go make TikTok work. They have to really invest time into it as well. I think that's, that's really key to understanding. This was my conversation with Steve Weiss, the CEO of Mute6. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We're going to be back in the next few weeks with new guests and new conversations. Until then, my name is Gorsha Hucho, and this is the 30-Minute CMO. See you later.